Welcome to the Winners Win Podcast, where we highlight awesome people in Kansas City and their secrets to success. I'm your host, Jamie Simpson. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of NetStandard. At NetStandard, we manage technology so you can manage your business. Today's guest is Brad Carlson, CEO and founder of Empirical Prime, a serial entrepreneur, magnetic multi-business opportunist, and strategic leader. Hi, Brad. Thanks for joining me. Welcome. You Thanks found for us me. down here. That's yeah, good. the space is beautiful. Yeah, it's fun. We um, this is actually Lily and James' space, and so I just get to borrow it. So it's love fun. it. Yeah. Well, they have all their stuff here, and then they don't have to drag it out to my space. So it works. Makes great. a lot of sense. That's right. So, uh, well, thank you for joining the podcast. We um, try to talk to Kansas City business people about things going on. So we're going to spend some time talking about you and your story and your success. Yeah. But before we start, I like to ask everybody what a memorable failure in your life was. In my life? Yeah, it can be anything. It can be when you were a kid or something in business, or it can be totally just something that sticks out to you as a time that you did not win, that things did not go well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a certain point in your childhood, right, where everything is uh, you're almost oblivious to whether you're winning or losing, right? And then all of a sudden it clicks in your teens. Um, you know, I would say the biggest challenges when I was a teen, I was actually, I played football. I was amongst kind of that group. Yeah. Had a lot of uh, bullying going on in my high school. So in my eyes, I had a few years of losing where Oof. a lot of unfair tactics kind of being used, right? And yeah, so I would say that's the first kind of recognition of it. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. To be in an environment where you'd think that you'd yeah. be more focused on the game and the objectives and it's well it's interesting know. yeah because like you would think like you know as, as children we all go through different uh phases as we go through these environments right depending on how we're brought into it by our parents and yeah, yeah this really drove my life going forward because you know my mom as a child always said it is what it is you have to move forward and so what was interesting was i was a sports player but yet other sports and other people still bullied me across the board and it was super interesting and so that kind of changed my whole perspective on life at an early age and I was like I want to do something bigger than what everybody's putting me through right now so I'd say that's kind of when the transition happened it challenged you yeah because yeah. I had a choice I could either take it or do something with it and at the time I just chose to do something with it so I think we do a better job now of talking about things like bullying at least kids I feel like there's theoretically some ability to come forward and say, hey, this doesn't seem like the way we should be treating each other. I don't know that that always happens, and certainly not when it's going on, like, because you don't want to be the guy who tells everybody that somebody else is a jerk or whatever. Yeah. But I think with now with social media and, you know, different communication channels, if you look at, like, my parents are in, like, their 70s, his parents, they kept everything in. It was yeah. very tight. My Absolutely. parents were pretty tight as well with things, and then yeah. I think things started loose, loosening a little bit with the past couple generations. And I think it's almost a little bit out of hand with the social media, with some of the younger generations coming up now, where it's like, we're putting a little bit too much out there. But uh, yeah, oh, there's a lot out there. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. I heard this morning on the radio that they're talking, TikTok is talking about putting a one hour limit on TikTok for kids under 18. I just heard that on the news today. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't have kids yet, but I think it'll be interesting to see what the waters look like to navigate when that time comes. 
Well, it's just something to look forward to, I guess. Yeah. That's right. So, Brad, for those of us who don't know you very well, why don't you tell me, tell me a little bit about your background and sort of how you got to doing what you do now? Yeah, so I'm from Kansas City originally, a little town up north called Kearney. Uh, grew up in a home building family. Was very blessed to be kind of on the job sites at a super young age. Uh, got to see the good and bad of small business and ended up kind of going to school. I played football for a couple of years, ironically, in uh, Central Missouri State, and that was great. But when I was kind of done with that, a really close friend of mine, we uh, kind of fell into buying and selling commercial trucks. And so on the weekends, we'd come back to Kansas City, have those trucks kind of uh, built out, refurbished, and we did really well. And so that was kind of the start of kind of my career. And, uh, you know, everything that I learned from my parents and the small business side of things it was priceless as I kind of took my own journey forward with kind of starting my own business. How does one fall into um, commercial buying and selling commercial trucks? Yeah, so best friend, his family leased movie set equipment uh, in California in New Orleans. It's a crazy industry. Picture they're shooting movies, all the trucks and trailers that go with it. We would help yeah. buy those trucks and trailers. And in the background of one of the photos was a FedEx style truck, UPS style truck. And he said, you guys should buy that truck. I bet you'll make some money on it. So he kind of bullied us into doing it. We did it and turned the first one within, back then it was a couple months and did really well with it. And then just kept cycling more and more trucks through. We were like 19 at the time. So what do you do? You buy them and then you paint them so they're not FedEx trucks anymore? Yeah, did really, you just sell them the way they were or how does that work? Yeah, so the business today is almost a 16 and a half year old business. And really what it does is we take trucks from large leasing companies, refurbish them, and refit them for a secondary use. And there's a tremendous margin associated with it. So back then, we first started out, we might've had one or two trucks. Every time we'd sell those trucks, we could buy, we could double it. So by the time we were out of school, we owned 50 trucks and a lot of money involved with it. And so we did really well. So we were kind of like spinning deals in between classes, coming back on the weekends that people could be setting it up for a FedEx contractor. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the first business we started. Wow, that's crazy. What an interesting business to get It's not a sexy into. one for sure. It's not one of those ones you're like, I want to go do this. It's just like we fell into it and really exploited the niche. Well, I can't imagine. I, I just, so many people, and my children included, you know, you go to college to hang out and have a good time. And like the fact that you were doing business deals while you were at college and you saw the opportunity is really interesting. That's really fun. Yeah, so we, we had a lot of ideas in between. Um, at a certain point, you know, his family had a small business, my family had a small business, and we started buying and selling these trucks, and our parents didn't like it. And so at a certain <laughs> point, we're one of the stories where it's like, my parents and I didn't get along so much to the point where I didn't talk to them for three years with this whole incident. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, so I had a challenge start for, for my whole career, and I really didn't have a choice but to succeed. So it was a different dynamic. It wasn't, oh, go try this. It was... I don't have another option. I've already chosen this path. And so that's where my whole story always starts. Interesting. Very different, yeah. That is different. So what are you doing now? Tell me about what you're doing yeah, now. Yeah, so now, so let me tell you the backstory to it. So we started the first company. It did really well. Yeah. Uh, probably a couple of years later, we were just out of school. Uh, myself, business partner, went and raised capital to start a leasing company. So we're like 21, 22 with actually John McGann and with Frontier Capital in Kansas City. Went to 20 banks and 19 said no, one said yes, started a leasing company, helped write all of the kind of software, everything that would go along with that. And then the third company we started, started building specialty vehicles. So if you picture big merchandising or command center units, 
anything that's trucks and trailers that's mobile, we started building those because we had the trucks and trailers. Yeah. So that led us into that. Probably in 2015, it was my business partner and I weren't getting along well. And we mm. per se got a divorce, a business divorce. And we had to split everything up. So at that point, it made more sense for me to run the businesses. So I bought him out. And it was a pretty sizable transaction for two 27-year-olds. And so yeah. uh, I went basically, you know, I went back and said, what do I really want to do? And it's, I want to build a business that runs without me. And so created a holding company. It's called Empirical Prime. That holds all of our different entities. As of today, we run about 20 sets of financials that roll up into one. So every time, whether it's I'm buying a property or a group of properties or it's a business unit, they're all put into entities. And I have a team of individuals that operate the businesses. And in a sense, we're basically a builder of operating companies now. And so we have basically two main large ones, but those main companies have spokes off of each one and verticals that they run in independently. And so that's what we operate today. Wow, that's amazing. So you've been in business how long? Yeah, it's going on 17 years. So with all of the things you've done, well, let me back up. So when you talk about making specialty vehicles, can you give me an example of what that would be? Like what's the craziest thing that you've ever been involved with building? Yeah, so, so picture, it's a really cool business. It's really challenging because we've evolved into a design build manufacturer. So heavy engineering, heavy design. If you picture, let's say a sports team, like the, the local uh, women's soccer team. Yeah, they the wanted to, Yep, they wanted to go mobile. So we built, we designed and then manufactured. Oh, the teal mobile? Yep, that's us. So we, Whoa. I got in with uh, the Chicago Bulls when I was probably 22 years old and I've built for 20 sports teams since. So once you get one going, that's the verticals I'm talking about. So you get inside a vertical and it's like, we roll with it. And so with me, I always wanted to be the best. And so uh, we have very good margin associated with our builds and I want to be the best. So we had to really evolve into being this heavy design oriented business. So picture marketing units, merchandising units. If uh, uh, Tamara Mellon, for example, she's the co-founder of Jimmy Choo Shoes. They wanted to go mobile uh, and take their their products out to the Hamptons. Well, they couldn't do that by buying a brick and mortar. They, they built this giant, beautiful truck that we designed out and represented their brand. And so it could be marketing, merchandising, command centers. So it could be Kansas City Police or Kansas City Health Department. We'll build out those units and then all the way to movie set units, anything you can think of across the board. If it's big, we design it. And so in our space, we're known as like the Bentley Rolls Royce. We're very, very expensive, and we have the longest warranty in the country. So out of all the states in the U.S., we build the highest-end specialty vehicles out of Green Valley, Missouri. There's I was going to ask, yeah. do you build them here in Kansas yep, City? Yes, it's in Kansas City. So we have all of our, our, our site is in Green Valley. We have 65,000 square foot. Uh, a lot of the employees are off-site, but that's where we do our manufacturing. And we can only build a limited volume per year, and we're very proud of that. Wow, that's amazing. What yeah. an interesting business. Yeah, it's, it's a fun one. Well, so obviously you're buying and selling businesses all the time, right? So is there an industry you haven't been in yet that you're interested in trying? I think for us, we're going to stick in the manufacturing side. We haven't sold a business ever. We, we usually hold all the businesses that we create. And so now what it ends up being is more like sub-entities of the manufacturing side because that's where our strength is. I'm... I understand most of the facets of the business really, really well. So you look at marketing to sales uh, to finance. In our case, we have design, engineering, manufacturing. 
I understand those very well. I'd like a, I've, I've had to give myself a self-taught course and basically a PhD in small business. To date, we've done about 300 million in revenue. And so I learned everything on the fly. I didn't learn it from school. And so, yeah, we, we will stick to the manufacturing kind of dealership space. That's who we are going forward. I'm only 36 years old, so going on 37 here. So got a long way to go. The big goal is to try to have a billion dollars of assets under management by the time I'm 60. I think a lot of people do well in their, I'll call it 50s, 60s, 70s. But I think with the trajectory we're hitting, we can hit the number uh, by the time I'm 60. So that's the big goal. It's, it scares a lot of people when I tell them that. It's very strange and comfortable, but it's been my vision since 2015 when I bought my business partner out. It's like, I'm going to build something that's huge that runs without me. That's great. So what do you, uh, that makes me think of a couple of different questions. So I'll ask you, I'll yeah. try to remember them both as you answer the first one, Ben. When you're teaching yourself something new, right? When you're, you're taking on a new business or you're looking at, you're evaluating something or you, you realize there's a new trend that maybe you don't know about, how do you absorb that information? What do you look at to teach yourself? Yeah, so I mean, I think entrepreneurial spirit is this, uh, this, it's this, uh, it's this thing people talk about, right? And I think a lot of times it's it's overly used. Like for me, like I don't like the word entrepreneur. I, I look at myself as like I'm a business builder. So I'm a builder of things. But I use the word entrepreneurial spirit because so many people have it, but yet they get paralyzed. And so for me, it's just we always go. Above all else, go. You have to get started and you have to design it and figure it out along the way. You can't just sit there and be paralyzed. So for people that are starting out, it's like, it's, you might have the greatest idea in the world, but if you don't go try to execute it, you're not going to know how to evolve that. So everything that I've done has been based on starting something. Start it, then go, then evolve it, and it's beautiful where it ends up. But not drowning in the sea of opportunity is another big, I have a giant quote that says, don't drown in the sea of opportunity because everybody does. And I've been super blessed to where if you look at it, each business we've started, we've kept it and kept it going. I mean, we've kept through different variations of challenges on the dealership side. We've gone, you know, FedEx is a huge buyer of our trucks, the independent contractors are. And it was different changes in their model over the years. And just recently, it's gone. So a 16-year-old business that relied on one segment, luckily we had been focusing on pivoting. But had yeah. I not seen that, a significantly sized business would have been gone by the wayside. And so just constantly looking out ahead and being able to have a vision for how do I evolve this to stay relevant? That's what I've been able to luckily stay ahead of. And I'm very conscientious of, as we go forward, I might not be able to have, you know, an exponential amount of businesses. However, I just want to make sure the ones that we do have are very focused and they can keep relevant with their clientele bases. So that is a fear of mine. Now, have we been able to overcome it? Yes, but at a certain point, the team has to overcome it instead of me being the one that overcomes it. So we're kind of going from like this I stage to a we stage, and that's where we're at right now in this big transition. So, so that's great because that that segs into my next question, which was how do you build that team? Like how do you identify people? Because you've got to have a lot of faith in people to run the businesses that you you know acquire and care about and have yeah. built. So how do you find the right people? to be a part of that vision. So when I said like some, you know, the, one of the biggest challenges I've been through 
as a child was the bullying stuff. I'd say the biggest one since is being able to hire great people. I've hired great performers, but they weren't great people. And so pre-COVID, we had some, some individuals that I brought on board. Um, we tried buying the company. I couldn't get the company bought, so their employees wanted to come on board with us. So we brought five employees on, and they were more sales-focused, right? And I thought I was going to have this Wolf of Wall Street you know, a- atmosphere yeah. where it's like we're just going to get it. And uh, they tore the company apart, these five individuals. And it's amazing. We had five leave and 15 more had to go. And so that's, it's been about a three and a half year transition. And so what I learned was it's all about good people first. And we can, we can teach a lot of competencies. But if they're not great people and they're not taking care of themselves, there's this element too of when you're an employee or you're an owner, you're having to take care of yourself from a personal and a professional level. If those two are not in somewhat of a dynamic or you have some sort of a priority to it, one's going to lack over the other one. And it's so interesting how I've had so many employees come in and it's really, I think, relevant now. People used to keep a lot of things in. I mean, mental illness, things like that with their their children and themselves. It is a huge challenge. I would say for the first 16 years, 15 years of the business, we haven't had any challenges with that. Now we're having a lot of challenges with it. And so it's completely changes the way that I lead along with the individuals that I'm trying to bring up. And so uh, we spend a lot of time and resources on my future operators. And they're, they're in a Vistage group, for example, in Kansas City here. I'm in a Vistage group. It's been very, very helpful. It's an executive group. And uh, we're putting a lot of, I'd say, time and energy into those individuals, allowing them to start to make decisions and not going to say fail, but be able to make the decision. And if it's not the right one necessarily, pivot, switch it, go, and have some accountability to it. So the team's smaller right now than it was in the past. And yeah, everything is about how, how do we get these team members to think um, like owners? Yeah. And that's, it's not so easy. It's the hardest chapter I've been through, but it's also probably the most exciting because at a certain point, once once they see you do it so many times a certain way and they take their own version of how to go do it, it's, it's everything that an owner wants. But I think it's really hard to get to that point because most owners have their hands around everything and it's, it's so constricted when they're controlling everything so much. You can't let it just be openly free, but you also can't be constricted. So that finding that sweet spot I think is one of the hardest things. And so I've been able to somewhat cultivate that in my thirties. I have a long way to go. I, as far as of right now, I, I don't plan on retiring. I want to be like a Warren Buffett where I go till I'm 90, hundred. So sure. can you imagine the exponential leadership that I'll be able to hopefully transpose by then? But yeah, that's how we've kind of overcome it. Yeah, I think I was just having a conversation yesterday about organizational growth, and, and of course I, there's all sorts of theories around it, but I, I've always thought that one of the bigger challenges at different stages of growth, because you know companies tend to sort of peter out at a million, and then it takes mm-hmm. something to get them to the next level, and then there's sort of a cliff at 10, and 50, and 200, yeah. and, and, and we're talking about it's because the way you run the business is different oh. at that level than it is at the next level, yes. and then a lot of times it does involve the entrepreneur or the owner being able to take that step back, right? And identify that there are things that you have to let go of and let somebody else 
manage and do and think through and mm -hmm. process because the longer you stay directly involved with it, you can't scale that. You can't scale a person. You can't scale yourself. So you've got to be able to invest in all those different things to get past that hump of growth. Yeah. And so I think you're exactly right. I think that's one of the harder things. I think that's one of the biggest barriers to growth is having owners that are capable of going, I have a vision and I have some things I'm holding you accountable to and this is what I want to do, but I don't necessarily have to be the one who decides the color of the pencils, right? I don't really care. Yeah. Just go do these things. At a certain point, that does exactly right. At a certain point, the owner is like every, you know, they're, they're controlling everything. And sometimes it's for a good reason. Sometimes it's sure. just because they don't have any other capacities other than that, right? And so... I totally, it's it's very interesting you said the transition from like a million to five million and 10. It's like, I think I'm really good with a 20 to 30 to $40 million business, each one individually. But I'm not ready to do a 65 to $100 million business yet because the, like you said, the, the driving factors to that are so different. And I've communicated to the team, it's like, I have... Uh, zero desire to work seven days a week, 14 hours a day, like we've had to do. So if we're going to grow, you guys are going to be the ones that do it because it's not that I'm comfortable. It's just, I physically cannot go forever like this. I look at it as like, I've had to go literally almost 17 years now straight running hard. Like it's like a, it's, I always joke. It's like a marathon we're running, but I'm sprinting. Yeah. And at a certain point it's going to catch up with you. And so that's our, our directive right now is how do we remove me? It's, it's actively on our radar. And yeah. So. I think it takes really good self-awareness to be able to say, yeah, this is a size business I'm really good at, or these are the things. I think in any size business as a leader, my advice to people is always, mm -hmm. you've got to figure out the one thing you do better or different than everybody yeah. else and you got to hold that thing and then let all of the other things that somebody else can figure out go away because the only that's the only way you can scale and grow and be bigger yeah. is to be able to go hey yeah I really like to do my KPI reports like this and I like them to look like this but in the end it doesn't really matter if they look like this but this is this thing that only I only I can evaluate other opportunities or only I can handle sales or only I can do you know equity investments or whatever it is that you've got to figure out but yeah. I think that's the only way to grow it's the only way to scale is I think it scares me a little away. bit I think it scares me a little bit because in the in the past it was like I want to be like Michael Jordan, give me the ball. And like, I don't care who's coming at me. It's like, I'll go do finance. I'll go do marketing. Like this is a crazy story. So like probably I'd say four months ago, we, we were just having challenges with website development. Each company has one. I had spent at times up to $150,000 on each website. And I literally every time failed because we couldn't manage the back end of it. And so probably four months ago, I said, screw it. We're gonna build our own websites. And literally everybody looked at me like, you're crazy. And I said, no, we're gonna, I'm gonna literally figure it out with you. And so I picked four of my top people, including like the CFO of the company, like literally just four of the smartest people. And we built two websites over probably, a, I'd say a month total, but two weeks hard. And they're phenomenal. And everybody, if I tell that story to them, they're like, you're crazy. Like there's no way they're good websites. And as of right now, they're, ranking exponentially better than the past ones we've had, right? So it's just crazy how you can take people and go do things that are just usually out of the norm or un unthought possible. And yeah. so that's what's, that's what's, it's been great. It's having a really good team. So, well, that's great. It sounds like you're, 
having a lot of fun doing all the things. I you're think doing. this chapter's fun. It hasn't always been fun. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but now it's getting a little, little more energetic and fun for me. So. So before we wrap up, and this has gone fast because you've got a yeah. lot of interesting stories to share, but. What would you give as your advice if you had to go back and talk to yourself as a, a high school kid or if you have to talk to somebody else's high school kid, what would you tell them about going into business or building their future? What advice would you give them? It's interesting because I, I didn't start the business because I wanted to. So many people, they wake up and they're like, well, I, you know, I'm out of college now. I don't have anything to do. I'm going to go start a business. It's like, that's an interesting recipe for starting a business. But like so many people, they don't really have the antecedents that make, I think, the business successful, which is no backstop. Like I had no backstop. So I, I still have no backstop. And the numbers keep getting bigger. So it's like I don't have anybody that can come in and just be like, I got you. So my advice would be just make sure it's the, it's the right environment for you. Because every day you wake up and you have no idea where you're going to go, but you better get a perspective of where you're going to go that day because the activity over an extended period of time is what derives the success of a business or not, or a person and a business. And so, yeah, I would say make sure you look deep into why you're doing it because mine has always been like, I want to build something big. And I've been very blessed to figure it out along the way, but not everybody's going to be in that same chapter, right? It's not going to be easy for them. And I would say it was not easy for me, but if I went back to my 19-year-old self, I'd say, just trust your gut. You'll be fine. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I would say. Just I trust love your, it. Trust your gut. That's good. Well, trust your gut is a, a good way to live through a lot of things. So yeah. that's good advice. Well, thanks, Brad, for yeah. being with us. I appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Okay.